Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, everyone. This is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about the soon-coming NBA draft. Uh, we have Cole Zwicker of the Stepion on to uh, talk about the draft, and him and I go over all of the wings that should be available when the Pistons draft at 15. All of them. Cole was extremely generous with his time, and it was uh, very much appreciated. All of them. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. My name is Lazarus Jackson, and this is the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different today. I am not joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. I am joined by a godfather of hashtag draft Twitter, uh, a writer at the Stepian, and a Seattle Seahawks superfan, Cole Zwicker. Cole, how are you doing? Not the best time to be a Seattle Seahawks superfan, but uh, it's it's been rewarding in the past. I'm doing well, man. Happy to be on. Yeah, I'm as a Lions fan. I got to tell you, it's it's it feels like it's a pretty good time to be a <laughs> Seattle Seahawks fan. I'm just saying. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So uh, I hear the Zion guy is pretty good. Any chance he'll be available at 15? He's decent. Yeah. Well, according to some, uh, I guess draft analysts, he's not the number one pick. So maybe uh, he falls a little bit. I, I, yeah. He's, hey. he's definitely going number one. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. No, okay. <laughs> but the so the Pistons pick at fifteen. Uh, so we're not going to talk about some of the guys at the top of the draft just because they won't be there when the Pistons select, and you guys don't care. So I guess the first thing I really wanted to talk to you though about was your philosophy. Um, this has been described as a bad draft class, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. What what makes a bad draft class, and, and does this draft fall under that criteria? I think when we look back at draft classes in the past, what really makes the class are the stars, the, diff- the real difference makers. That's how you remember the 2003 draft. That's how you remember the 96 draft. And we have Zion in this class. So I think just based on him, the draft isn't bad because we're getting, in my opinion, a legitimate difference maker. If we're talking about, and this is how a lot of people define what drafts are, they're talking about you know, depth in the top five, depth in the top 10, like last class, for example, incredibly strong at the top of the draft, not just number one, but working down into you know, even the eight, nine range. That's how most people think about the draft. And this draft is definitely lacking in those kind of second tier stars. So 
my big board, I haven't finished it yet, but just to provide some perspective, I have Zion in tier one. I have nobody in tier two this year. And then tier three is probably going to end up being four or five guys. Whereas last year, you know, Jaron Jackson, Trey Young, those guys were tier two guys. So in that respect, I think this draft is a little weaker than especially last draft for sure. But as far as holistically, I, I still think there's some depth in this class. You can get a, a quality player, even like undrafted maybe this year. There, there's some depth there, but there, there's not a lot of depth as far as like second tier stars. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so, but so last year we had, last year was thought of as a quote unquote bad draft class, but it was uh, thought of as kind of a, a very top heavy class. You got to like what, like Wendell Carter at like six. And then like after that, people were kind of like, I don't know about the rest of these guys, but there was value in the latter half of the lottery and like the latter half of the second round or the, the first round, right? Like guys like Kevin Herter, you know, made all rookie uh, drafted outside of the lottery. Guys like uh, Shagid Julius uh, Gilgis Alexander drafted at the bottom of the lottery. Um, you know, guys like Miles Bridges. Where was our Mikhail Bridges? Where where was Mikhail drafted? Mikhail was traded for at ten. So yeah, okay. and I think Miles was traded for at eleven. At eleven, yeah. And so like you you were still able to secure kind of value uh, throughout the entirety of the draft. And I guess that's as as a fan of a team without a lottery pick i guess that's kind of what i'm hoping for this year uh we we find and uh, identify and like draft the the not necessarily star guys but the the role role player guys uh in the latter half of the the lottery yeah exactly right i think there's going to be some quality prospects available at 15 for the pistons this is not a draft where i i think it drops off a cliff really it drops off a cliff for me after one and then maybe you can argue four or five but to me, there's some prospects that could be available at 15 that could be, you know, the second best prospect in this class, frankly. Like that's I, that's kind of a contrarian take. I, I know a lot of the the league views this as a three player draft with John Morant and then R.J. Barrett rounding out the top three. I don't necessarily think of it that way. I think there are outcomes that, you know, a player drafted at 15 could be the second best player. This is that kind of draft for me. OK. So you had one tweet about uh, teams chasing a particular skill that's been uh, displayed as like supremely valuable in the playoffs, like shot creation, pull-up shooting. Uh, this is, I think, in reference to Darius Garland being like number four after everyone was making Damian Lillard comparisons. Yeah. Um, and so when you tweeted that, my first thought was, was shot creation because that's an area of like desperate, desperate need for the Detroit Pistons. And Kevin Porter Jr. has been this guy who – has been identified as a guy who can definitely create shots, but we we don't really know if he can do anything else at the at an NBA level. So so what does a guy like uh, Kevin Porter Jr. need to add to his game to be part of an NBA rotation? Yeah, it's a great question. And stylistically and how he fit into a college team, USC was a train wreck this year. So it's very tough because from an individual skill set standpoint, like he creates the best separation in the class. He's got a ton of shake. You know, you, you look at him, he kind of is described as this Rainier Beach, like Seattle type of ball handler, like Jamal Crawford in the past, just a guy who can really get his own shot. And I wish I had a better answer for you as far as like how he fits into an NBA team, the rest of his skills, because we didn't see him in any high leverage situations. Like a lot of the time he was playing off the ball. He, he didn't get to initiate a lot and pick and roll. So we don't really know about, you know, can he read the floor? Can he make a skip pass read, for example? He just didn't get put in a lot of those situations. So I, I really think that is he a real shooter is a, is a definite question. Like he can create space, but how efficient of a shooter is he? Like his handle is 
not advanced. Like his dribble moves are great, but his tightness and his control need some work in my opinion. And most importantly, all he did last year really was settle for step backs. Like he didn't attack the rim and he's a plus athlete. I don't think he, yeah, exactly. Like he, I mean, he really just settled. Even when he had clear driving lanes, it was all step backs. He's one of the hardest evaluations in the class because he's clearly talented. He's physically gifted, even though I don't think he tested as well as I thought he would at the combine, but he has the individual kind of self-creation and the scoring that's going to stand out to executives. It's just, can he really put that in the context of a team and, and contribute that way? And we just don't know because he wasn't put in that situation at USC. Yeah. 46 total free throws in 21 games for a guy who's supposed to be like, who's billed as this like primary shot creator just like really gives me a lot of pause. Like why, if he was, if he's so good at this, like why wasn't he put in a position to succeed by his coaching staff? Right. But like, like you said, USC was a train wreck. And so that's kind of that. Yep. Yep. Exactly right. So another guy who we're questioning uh, the, the shot creation numbers of is Romeo Langford. Um, Romeo has gone around the, after the combine to anyone who would listen and saying like, yo, my, my hand thing, I was really messing up my shot. It's like, I don't know, man. Like I saw you, I saw those pull up, like his footwork was, uh, his footwork was terrible. He shot, I think 27% from three on the year, but like at his best, he definitely was a guy who could um, finish through contact, uh, create shots uh, at the rim. He was the only guy on the Indiana team that defenses had to account for. And so I guess what's uh what are your thoughts on uh, Romeo Langford and his ability to create shots at the NBA level? Yeah, I mean, I think we can still project him based on the sample, even though it wasn't a great situation for him. I just think from an athleticism standpoint, not someone who separates easily. Very big difference between him and Kevin Porter Jr. Romeo doesn't have a lot of shake. I mean, what he does is he really relies on his strength level to create space. And you see him engage contact with bodies way farther out away from the rim because he can't just blow by guys off the bounce. So really a guy that the shooting is the absolute number one thing for him. And that's the case with a lot of players, but for him, he kind of has to be this crazy shot maker and just general shooter to have a ton of value in my opinion, just because he's not somebody who's just going to get by guys one-on-one if he doesn't have the threat of his pull-up. And like you noted, there's a lot of bad tape on his shooting this year. I mean, I think he airballed like a wide open catch and shoot three and you can just see he kills his wrist back so far when he shoots. It's almost like there has to be a ton of tension in his shot. Just the way the delivery takes place. You just don't see great shooters miss shots the way he did even open shots. So there's there's a lot of reason to be, to have reservations about him. I I don't know how much like any kind of injury played in. I, I watched him shoot before he came to Indiana I mean, I've seen a, a fair amount of tape on him. He never struck me as like a knockdown shooter. He always had this like wrist heel back issue, but he does have pretty good touch. That's the thing. And this, I've kind of incorporated more into my analysis this year is basing a guy's shooting outcomes and really factoring that touch. And we saw him, you know, he, he dropped off a little bit as a finisher as the season progressed, but a lot of touch finishes, he, he showed touch. So I, I think it's reasonable to bet on him being like a pretty good shooter. I don't know about dynamic shooter and he doesn't have the athleticism or like the separation ability despite having, I think an underrated handle, but functionally he's just not, he's not athletic enough really to be this like dynamic shot creator in my opinion. Hmm. Okay. So if he can't, if he can't create separation and say he tops out as like an average to like slightly a below average shooter uh, from NBA three point range, uh, like say he hits like a 65th percentile outcome. Like what kind of player do you envision him being? 
I think like a replacement level wing almost like if, if, that's just kind of what he is defensively. I mean, he has the frame to hold up, but he lapses a lot off the ball. And that was a continuing issue for him last year. He he does again, laps when he has to rotate. His coverages aren't great off the ball on the ball. I, I think that he can have a little bit of value. Not again, not a dynamic athlete, but he moves laterally a little bit better than he gets credit for. So he has two way wing equity, but in the holistic scheme of, of a team, I think like a replacement level wing is kind of like his median, honestly, just because I don't see him being a dynamic shooter. And if he's not doing that, what is his like Supreme value He's not an, incredible decision maker he can pass but he's not like a ball mover type where you really trust him to make you know high level reads if he swung the ball in an, in an advantage situation like attacking a closeout for example so I, I don't really like his unless he hits his ceiling which i don't think is incredibly high but it's high enough in this range where it would if he's like a dynamic shooter if he doesn't hit that i, I don't know what he really looks like on an nba team okay so the next guy I want to talk about was Nasir Little. Nasir Little has drawn a lot of uh, Stanley Johnson comparisons just because I think people look at a guy with uh, his like physical definition, but uh, Little is definitely more of a like run-jump athlete than Stanley ever was, and I think people need to incorporate that into their comparisons. Like I watched Stanley Johnson for three years, like and like that dude couldn't <laughs> jump at all <laughs> off of one foot. And so, but when when I look at Little, I see an undersized NBA four, um, and it, I don't know if he's not like a very particularly skilled one at that. And so, I guess how much what what's the what's the key development wise? What's the swing skill for for Little uh, as an NBA player? I think it's also the shooting, and I think that his shooting is better than he showed at North Carolina. I watched a lot of him really? in high okay. school. Yeah, I watched a lot of him in high school and then in the all-star circuit. I did feel like he tweaked his mechanics a little bit at UNC. You saw him bring the ball almost to the side of his head a little bit more. I think he's even acknowledged this in an interview. I don't know why he did that because I loved his high school tape as far as his shooting. Not like he's a knockdown shooter, but I think he's better than his percentages showed this year. And I think he has some touch, even though he had some really brutal misses last year. But I think it's really shooting because I look at the rest of his game. You could say handling ability. He's not a very good ball handler. And I that stuff tends to not improve at the same rate. Like I think you can really improve catch and shoot three point shooting. A lot of players do that in the NBA, but as far as handling his feel for the game is below the line. And that's kind of where I, I loved him coming into the college season. And then you could see pretty quickly that his mental acuity is just not there on the floor. Like yeah, as a facilitator for others, team defense, like making smart rotations, incredible kid though, like really high character. I think he's going to go higher than 15 just because he's going to interview and, insanely well but I, I think the swing scope for him as far as what he can really control and what i project to actually improve in the nba is probably catch and shoot ability maybe a little bit of dribble pull-ups he showed that at lower levels we'll see if that materializes but i don't really expect him to make enormous improvements because again guys who don't have that innate feel for the game a lot of those elements are really hard to improve upon you uh do you think he'll be able to be a switch defender uh, especially like as an undersized four that's a great question. I think if he gets back to his physical build pre-college, I thought he added too much strength too quickly. And you kind of saw that in the beginning of the season. He wasn't moving laterally as well. He just didn't know how to carry that weight. To me, he moved better at lower levels. If you really slim him down and kind of shed that ridiculous strength that he added, I don't think he needs it. Maybe like in a Michael Kidd Gilchrist kind of way who really lean down and it has more lean muscle. I think that that's the best avenue for Nasir to really switch. So I do think that's in his range of outcomes if he does that. But right now, he's just a little bit too clunky. 
he's not the most fluid athlete as far as transitioning change of directions he doesn't have the best body control but again i, I thought it was better at lower level so that's going to be a really interesting point to monitor okay so a guy like uh keldon johnson um uh, is not also like not this amazing run jump athlete but uh his defensive disposition is really nice uh turned himself into a really good catch and shoot uh three-point guy over like the last couple of years the the end of his high school career in the and in, in, into kentucky his shot fell apart i think a little bit in sec play but um, that's neither here nor there. But he's not he's an average he's an average athlete and he's not really a guy who can create his own shot. So he's more of um like a three and D wing. But uh what so I guess what's what's your evaluation of Keldon? Yeah, it's pretty much spot on to what you described. He's not okay. a high level athlete. He's very physical and he like if you watch him against Duke, he was the one guy who looked like he kind of belonged on the floor in that game with Duke's athletes just because of how aggressive he was getting downhill. I think his athleticism is overrated though. And like his defense is a little bit overrated. I love his physicality and his toughness. Like he, he definitely brings that to the equation and the energy defensively, but he's kind of that consummate guy who he looks like he's trying really hard. So people overvalue his defense. But when you actually look at how effective he is defensively, it's not nearly at the same level. It doesn't create events off the ball on the ball. I don't see him as like this dynamic lateral athlete, even though he really tries the shooting definitely surprised a lot of people. I saw him shoot lower levels again, and I was impressed by his mechanics, but he's someone who didn't play in the hoop summit. So I never really got a, a great view at him. I just kind of watched him shoot around. So that wasn't a huge shock for me as far as developmentally. I think he's going to be able to shoot catch and shoot threes. He was kind of utilized in that Kevin Knox role on Kentucky where he ran off screens as well, like on baseline screening actions. And he showed a little bit of off movement ability, even though it's nothing like Cameron Johnson, for example. So he just doesn't do anything incredibly well for me. He's kind of like he's average ish and maybe above average in certain categories. But he, I don't really look at him and say, what is this guy going to do in the NBA in dynamic fashion? Unless he just becomes this knockdown shooter. But again, there's not a lot of reasons to believe he's going to be like a 40% three point shooter. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was envisioning him kind of like as a, as a worse version of Danny green in like all respects, but he's like an inch taller and I think he has longer arms than Danny. So it's like, maybe there's a possibility that, um, if you get him to kind of restrain himself a little bit on defense and like not pick up guys from, from uh, 90 feet or whatever <laughs> in the, at the NBA level that you can turn him into a, a higher quality defender than maybe you're envisioning. But like, yeah, the, the inability to like create his own shot off the dribble, the inability to um, create efficient looks. He's not like really a playmaker either, if I recall correctly. And so like, he's one of those guys that like really just, I like I'm concerned like that's who we're going to end up with just because like he, he's got a really great disposition, really good kid. But like the the ceiling on him is just not very high. Like, that's the type of swings this front office has taken in the past. And the, the playmaking point was absolutely spot on as far as his ability to make decisions is very much a question mark. This is a guy who over penetrates a lot. He misses a lot of driving kick reads. Those kinds of wings who aren't incredible shot makers as far as one-on-one or incredible movement shooters, if you're going to attack and you're not going to make great decisions, like Danny Green could at least like think the game and, and make Pat like good reads. And I don't see that for Keldon. That's not what he showed at Kentucky. So that's kind of scary. If you're talking about a potential high level role player, a lot of those guys have to be great decision makers. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about like seeing guys in high school, seeing guys at, at hoop summit. Uh, what do you, what do you look for in like the transition from a hoop summit to like a guy's like first year in school? Like what, what uh, improvement areas are are you generally focused on? 
Yeah, it's a great point, and I should put that in context. A lot of like hoop summit ob- observations in isolation in a vacuum don't really pan out very well. As far as like if you just fixate, like Quentin Grimes was awesome at the hoop summit. I think ESPN had him top five coming into the season, and you kind of see how that worked out. So there's you always have to put it in context and say, am I overrating a small sample? Like Cameron Reddish was the best player on Team USA um, two years ago, and yeah. like that that. That spoke volumes, right? I mean, he didn't set the tone. And that's why you maybe inflated someone like Quentin Grimes in respect to him. But usually with Who Summit guys, I'm looking to see skill level as far as shooting, especially like footwork, because you can really get that's the best thing you can get access to at the Hoop Summit is just guys shooting around and they're really working on footwork. Like RJ Barrett, seen him twice at Hoop Summit. And even from one year to the next, he was trying to incorporate like a step back into his game. So you're always looking for little progressions there. It's really hard to see high level feel in that kind of setting just because it's not a high leverage situation it's not as structured as a college setting so i tend to focus more on athleticism and and skill individual skill level as far as handling all of that stuff because i I feel like if i put too much stock into feel like quentin grimes for example was was pretty smart at the hoops i made a lot of reads and then how does that really fit into a five-on-five game in a more you know formal setting okay so when you say like when you say athleticism, I, you've talked a lot about functional athleticism uh, in the past. Can you give my my audience who like might not know exactly what that is like a, a short primer on like functional athleticism? Sure. So I think th- this is best done by example. So last year we had Zaire Smith and Hamadou Diallo. Hamadou Diallo, run and jump athlete, one of the best leapers in the history of the combine, but doesn't apply that to the floor. Like if you watched him play at Kentucky. Like he rarely made finishing plays. Like he, he didn't contest shots. Like he didn't get to the rim. He was limited some by his lack of skill. So of course it helps when you can apply your athleticism with skill level, just because it helps it you know translate better. But I think the main delineation is like run and jump versus actual like applying in every sense. Like Zaire Smith, that guy is not only laterally quick, which is what we usually associate with athleticism that in vertical. But it's like applying it, contesting shots and like using every inch of your athleticism in different ways, like setting screens, like setting powerful screens, for example, running the floor hard, like all of that stuff factors into applying your athleticism to the floor and rebounding. So I think that's the main delineation is just run and jump athleticism versus functionally applying it in different ways. Okay, like Andrew Wiggins is like the primary example of like a dude who is like this amazing athlete who you just like never see use it on an NBA court. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins, even on his own team, compare him to a Josh Okogi, his rookie year, and like how much you know, Okogi's a high level athlete. Some would argue he's like a world class athlete, and you see how much more he utilizes it defensively, finishing plays, contesting, like him guarding James Harden. Like Wiggins just doesn't do that. He doesn't contest shots. He doesn't get rebounds. Like he, he just doesn't use his athleticism to the level that he would test at in the combine. All right. So we got uh, one more, a couple more guys who were uh, not really amazing athletes at the combine. Uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker is just kind of, uh, I don't know if he's elite at anything, but he seems to be just like a really good basketball player. But is his, is his lack of elite skill at anything? Uh, does that matter at the NBA level? Yeah, for me, it's a lot of, it's a lot physically with him. Like as far as his, I don't really buy his frame being impactful at his size. Like he's very skilled. Like he's an incredible college basketball player. Like if he went back to school at Virginia tech this year, like he'd be one of the best basketball players in the country. He can dribble pass shoot. Um, he makes great reads. He's ambidextrous as far as his passing execution. He can pass with his left and his right. He can finish with his left and his right. 
Um, I just worried about him with a first step standpoint. Like he doesn't beat guys cleanly off the bounce from a defensive standpoint. How switchable is he just because again, more of a, a narrower build. I think the skill level is really alluring, but I don't know how much it translates just because he's not like this incredible shooter. He's got a little bit of a longer release, even though he has made contested shots over a guy like DeAndre Hunter, for example. I just don't really buy any of his game translating to like an impact level. What's his position at the NBA? Because he's, he's, he's like six, five and a half in shoes. Um, it's like he's a two, three, but like he also did a lot of the ball handling at Virginia Tech. Like, is he is he a one? Like, is that possible or no? I think in a specific setting, if he's playing next to like a wing initiator, so if like Dallas drafted him, he, <laughs> yeah, that's another one. Like, yeah, Blake is really like the de facto point guard on, on the Pistons, obviously. So I, I think he could like that might honestly be his best position just because then you really get that defensive size at the one and you don't have to play him on the wing and guard like bigger small forwards, for example. So it's possible, but he's not someone again, who's going to get to the rim at a high level. So you really got to get that from another position and and another skill set, just because he's not going to blow by guys, even if he's initiating the offense, like he can play off Blake, I think fine. But again, I think from that position, you need him. You need a little bit more dynamism unless you're getting it from, you know, your shooting guard or small forward. Yeah, no, that's fair. The that was one thing the Pistons were severely lacking in last year was, was dynamism, and there was there was like initially like thoughts like you could play like Langston Galloway and stuff at point guard, and like his on ball defense would be an, and he'd be an effective like spot up guy as Blake handled, but like that didn't work because defenses could just key on Blake all, all the time and didn't have anybody who could punish them, and so I, I'm I'm a little bit wary of that. I like Nikhil Alexander Walker, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky. Yeah, totally agree. I, I think that's the concern. And people kind of like this three and D point guard archetype, like it's very attractive to surround, you know, other kinds of initiators. So like Blake, like Luca, for example, but you got to have a little bit more, I think, burst to your game. If you're going to be that kind of player, like we even, I think we take guys like Drew Holiday for granted, like they're still incredible athletes and Drew Holiday can create his own shot. He can get to the rim like that. He's not analogous to a lot of these guys you see come in. So I, I think that sometimes we can kind of overrate these more, you know, three and D point guard types because you still need to get some point guard skill and some point guard ability, like the ability to get to the rim from them. Yeah. So, so Cam Johnson, what he's 23. What's his, what's his upside? Like what, what does he have left in the tank? I think his upside, I, I'm, it's weird because I don't think he has like tremendous upside. Like I don't really see him improving that much, but he has, he has, he's the best shooter in the class to me, frankly, like straight up, like the best movement shooter. Like he can come off of a, you know, a pin down curl without even being fully set and hit an NBA three. And like, there are probably like four guys in this class that can do that. And he's the best at it by far. So for me, I'm a little concerned about the physicality. Like he has good feet and I think he tests a little bit better at the combine than people thought, but he doesn't really play to his size. Like if he was physical and you could really switch and like guard bigger players and, and put up a fight, I would like him more to me. He's kind of like Doug McDermott esque potentially like a guy who can really shoot off motion. High, you can leverage his skill ability that way. But if you switch, can he beat a guy in isolation? No, he's not that athletic getting to the rim. Um, he's a decent passer, not a great one. And then defensively, I just feel like guys will attack his lack of physicality and space in the playoffs. A, I, I love the cross racial comparison. Uh, B, uh, so, <laughs> so McDermott is a three four like hybrid. Is is that the same you see envision for Cam? Yeah, it's a great question. I for me with Cam, he's more of a two three hybrid. So not really as much really? as a combo forward. Even more at of his like size? A, he's six nine. 
he doesn't play that way. Like, I, I, like, yeah. So I think for me, like if you play him at the four, you're not really getting any benefit for that. And I think the same as McDermott. I mean, defensively, you're not getting anything from McDermott as a rim protector. So, I mean, you're going to stretch, stretch some guys out, but I don't think the teams are really worried about guarding, you know, Cam or McDermott in isolation. It's more of like, you have to account for them off the ball and running off screens. And that gravity effect is a plus, but as far as playing to your size, I think you need to get more, you know, infrastructure at the four. You need to get more defense in that position. Okay. So uh, we've talked about a bunch of dudes who are either like straight wings or like two, three wings, or in the case of uh, NAW, like a one through three type of wing. Uh, PJ Washington is a guy who I don't think like really, he doesn't really fit on this Pistons team, but like, I think he's, I think he's a really effective player and I like wish there was a space to, to be made for him, but he just appears to be like a straight four. Uh, is there is there any possibility that we could play like a jumbo lineup of like PJ Blake and like Andre at the same time? It's possible because I think PJ can shoot off the catch. He's really improved his you know catch and shoot three point ability, very high level this past season. I think I buy it translating to NBA range. And not to rain on the parade of Pistons fans, but a lot of players that I like in this range are for us. Um, like if Clark falls, I think he's the best player clearly on the board, but he doesn't really fit great next to these guys, and that's kind of a interesting discussion about you know drafting for fit and like positional fit versus just drafting I guess in air quotes the best player available um but I I think unfortunately a lot of these guys like PJ ideally a four I think he can play a little bit of small ball five he has the length and he has the strength level I think to be effective there in stints but of course the Pistons are never going to start him at the five with Drummond they wouldn't start him at five in isolation by himself anyway but I do think you can get kind of creative with those guys just because PJ's ability to shoot he can kind of play off Blake in that way yeah I know like Grant Williams is another guy who I know you love who kind of like falls under that same category exactly right yeah Yeah. he's I I love Grant I love his IQ probably the smartest player in the draft as far as like not just on the floor he's like legitimately brilliant like his mom works at nasa like if you hear him speak he's incredible like he's one of the smartest players to come in the draft i think probably in the last decade or so and you see it on the floor in ways uh but again optimizing him he basically does the things that blake does better as far as like not initiating an offense because i mean that's an incredible skill that blake has but like as a short roll big for example if he played next to damian lillard and guys trap Lillard and you put Grant in a short role where he can make a decision. He's an underrated athlete getting to the rim. He can shoot a pull up like that's where you really tap into his upside. I, I don't know if that really works on the Pistons. Just, they don't have the guard play outside of like Kennard's probably their biggest threat as far as a dribbling guy and a pull up guy. I, I don't know if that is at the level of where you can really optimize someone like Grant. No, that makes a lot of sense. Why, why didn't Grant pop more in five on five at the combine? Not really his style as far as like takeover scoring athleticism i mean if you focus on the subtlety of what he did like he was like basically the coach on the floor like directing everybody like like usual you know he's gonna make the extra pass he's gonna make the rotations defensively but not the kind of guy he's just not wired that way he's not wired to come in and be like this dynamic shot creator he's not gonna like just take you know fadeaways over double teams like he's gonna make the right play and sometimes that doesn't stand out as much in that kind of setting you're looking more for guys like he was probably for a lot of people the only first round caliber player playing in those scrimmages and you usually associate that with like dominating the game from a scoring standpoint and he's just not gonna do that yeah no yeah yeah that makes sense that's not really you're right that really just like isn't the type of player he is and i I do like there is a place for guys with like a higher basketball iq on this team but like positionally it just like you said it just doesn't work uh the last or not the last guy but another guy i want to talk about i wrote 
like a whole like 1200 words on KZ Akpala. And he is just this, he's this, he's got the, the size and skill that like the Pistons like desperately like need on the wing. But a lot of his game is more like theoretical than real at this point. And, and like it shows up in the mocks, it shows up on like scouting reports. You, he is like ranked slightly below, I think, where the Pistons would select at 15. But like, uh, he is one of, he's like, if you're looking for a guy like, um, uh, if you're looking for a guy who I think can like make an all star team in like the bottom, in like the 15 to 20 range in this draft, like, I think it's him. It's like, is, is that, is that the type of like skill set you think, uh, that can pop or, uh, what do you what do you think of Casey? I think you described it well in the beginning as far as a lot of his game to me is theoretical. Like he has the size, he has the length. Like if you're just looking at his measurables and like how he tested, for example, you're like, okay, he's a lottery pick. If you look at that, and the Stanford situation was very poor. So that's important to point out. Like the context, his team was very bad and it definitely negatively impacted him. I just kind of look at him. And I think the same thing. It's just like, what part of his game do you think translates to a high level? Like, I don't think he has the athleticism to like really translate like the handle. He can handle okay. He can pass okay. He's not good at passing on the move, but he's good at passing from a standstill. I trust his catch and shoot three enough for him to be like a projectable kind of role player. I just don't think he has the feel or the like absolute athleticism to be like this two-way wing. And I do think that he's the kind of guy who gets pushed up draft boards again, just because of his, like, like, a lot of it's positional scarcity, like with bigger, yes. small forward type of yes. wings. So you're, you're going to be like, yes, I need a big three, right? Because every team needs that. Like you see the Kings traded for Harrison Barnes because they needed a bigger, like three kind of player. And I just don't know if Casey's that good. And I think that he benefits from that scarcity element. No, that's, that's definitely fair. The defense also gives me pause. Like you would think a guy with his measurables would be, uh, like even just like accidentally a better team defender, but I don't know. Stanford was Stanford was also really bad. They like the Stanford as a whole was like 250th in the nation in steals or something. So I'm I'm not surprised that uh, that the that he wasn't a great defensive player. But uh, I I wonder how much of that is attributable attributable to him and like how much of that is attributable to the team around him. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I just still think that from the sample I saw of him, I didn't see a lot of eye-popping plays defensively. Like, I didn't see a lot of high-level intelligence as far as rotations. I, I don't think he changes directions as well as he gets kind of touted as. Like, a lot of people want to put him in the same class as DeAndre Hunter, for example. Oh, and I no. think DeAndre Hunter... DeAndre Hunter is just a much better. He's just a much better technical defender. Like he's much better moving his feet, anticipating when guys are going to drive and walling them off. He's an incredibly high level, one of the highest level wing defenders from a technical standpoint I've seen coming into the draft in a while. So I think KZ kind of gets grouped in with him sometimes because both don't have tremendous feel, but just Hunter executes at a much higher level. If I, if I saw that from KZ, I would be higher on him. I just, I just have never really seen it. No, that's that's totally fair. I mean, like his his closeouts, like technically, were bad. Um, he got hung up on screens a bunch. Like for me, it's it's a yep. matter of like uh, the stuff I saw from KZ on defense was like fixable by coaching. It's like you can teach him how to close out properly, right? Like you can teach him how to get skinny through screens. But like, will like can you like ever get him to a point where like, hey, just like hold out your arms a bunch and like make impact plays. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like that, that remains to be seen. And that's why, you know, I'm not coaching an NBA team. Yeah. And I think the technical aspects are the easiest aspects to fix. Like you said, the closeout footwork, getting around screens, that stuff can be improved upon, but 
I, again, I just don't see enough feel in his game on defense or on offense, frankly, to say like he has this upside. And I think that kind of like reacting quickly off the ball, those kinds of things are harder to teach. I, I really, I'm kind of a firm believer, not like hardline concrete stance, but the feel elements of your game, like you, you kind of players are more themselves and, and they stay themselves than people think, right? I mean, you just assume people can get better at certain things, but when they start involving like intuition, quick reactions, quick processing on the floor, those things are harder to, to improve upon, in my opinion. No, that's fair. I mean, uh, you can't teach basketball IQ, right? Yes. Yes. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Okay, uh, another guy is Rui Hachimura. I think Rui, like, I, I'm i not a huge fan of Rui, just, like, flat out. Uh, like, not a very good defender. And, like, sure, maybe that's because he couldn't speak English until, like, a year and a half ago. Like, you know, maybe that's the case. Um, but, you know, didn't shoot that many threes. Shot a good percentage, but didn't shoot that many. Um, not really an amazing run jump athlete. And that shows up, I think, in his rebounding numbers, which are way worse than you'd expect with, than a for a guy with like his physical like profile um we didn't get any numbers on him at the combine so like i don't know exactly uh how tall he is and i suspect he's like i suspect he's like a little bit shorter than uh projected but i'm not 100 percent on that um you know scores a lot in the half court uh scores a lot and like semi transition like post-up opportunities but like otherwise like i'm not sure like if he has the skill level to contribute like meaningfully like right away in the NBA. Like have I have I got Rui right or no? You should just start substituting for me on these podcasts. Uh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think the main thing for me is again the basketball feel for him. He just messes up way too much on both sides of the floor, especially defensively. Like he just some of the decisions he makes are very very rudimentary and they're flags for me. And you see that like attacking closeouts as well. Like he'll just run through guys and get charges when there's easy reads like in front of him. He can just make a simple drop off or a simple kick out. He doesn't do it. And I think his athleticism is a little bit overrated. His frame is obviously incredible. Like his frame. That's why he's getting drafted high is because of his frame in conjunction with his ability to shoot off the dribble. Uh, He can, you know, drop his shoulder and shoot over the top high release point, a flatter arc. So can he translate that back to NBA three is going to be a question. I think he's a straight four again, just because I would never trust him defensively at the five. I don't trust him at all defensively anyway, but especially at the five, like as a rim protector, like making quick decisions, that's where it kind of just falls off the map for me. But again, I'm very much, I, I support, high IQ players more than guys who I think have big voids there. Like he's going to go higher than Grant Williams. I think Grant Williams is a much better player. And they, they Grant actually has similar strengths than Rui does as far as like pull up shooting off the dribble. Like Grant's actually really underrated at that. It's just kind of funny to me that Rui gets all of this credit for like the scoring upside and all of that when we don't know a, if he's going to be able to shoot threes effectively. Like I, th- I think he has the touch to in time, but it's not like a, a surefire bet and B like, can he really blow by guys that are, better athletes and get to the rim and finish. Cause he's not like the most coordinated explosive athlete. Like he's just big and he's a, a good athlete, but he, I don't think he's a great one. So there's a lot of issues with this game that I have translating 
both from his skill and execution standpoint and of course the feel level yeah i wonder how good he will look when like brandon clark isn't next to him right <laughs> yeah the, i mean the there, every highlight that you see of Brandon Clark, like for example, I posted this the other night of when Clark rotated over to block Zion, and uh, every highlight seems to have like a negative Rui element. Like Zion just blew past Rui because he he's not great at sliding in space. He's okay at it, but he's not like the the whole switch idea with him. I think is a little overrated. And, and switching, how people analyze switching in the NBA, I think generally is overrated. Just it's not like always in front of you. It's not like a one five pick and roll every time. You got to switch off the ball. You got to have communication. All of that. So. Even in isolation, though, I think that Rui's lateral agility um, is a little bit overrated. And again, I, <laughs> I, I definitely agree as far as like Clark definitely picking up for Rui's downfalls defensively, especially. Yeah. And like as far as the scouting thing goes, like you're the expert. So like if I say something and like I don't know if it's <laughs> right or not and like you say you agree with it, it's like, OK, cool. Like I'm on the right track. So it's like, yeah, you got to you got to like, uh, like, I appreciate your agreement of my analysis, but like, I, I, I'm just a dude on the Internet, right? Like, I could be wrong about all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I use the term expert and very, very loosely as far as air quotes. But yeah, I watch a lot of tape. So yeah, I, I've seen these guys have a pretty good understanding of who they are. Of course, projecting rate of improvement and all that stuff is a whole different element. But uh, last thing on Rui for me is like Sam Bassini knows him really well because he's interviewed him like a ton of times he's a great kid and like you said you mentioned this point earlier about him learning english maybe there is some untapped upside with his communication skills on the floor i can just only go with what i've seen gonzaga is one of the best developmental programs in the country maybe the best and the fact that he hasn't made these jumps in his game as far as especially defensively so far as communication i think that is kind of concerning no definitely i mean like and you know only one of us on this podcast has worked for an nba team and so i think that counts for something <laughs> Congratulations, man, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's you. <laughs> so uh, one more guy, uh, Tyler Hero. Um, so I'm not going to lie to you. There is a small but like vocal contingent uh, part of Pistons fandom that's like, if we draft another white dude, like I'm going to lose my fucking mind. <laughs> so it's like, but Tyler Hero like isn't just another white dude. It's like, what? Give me the, the scouting report on Tyler. Yeah, one of the best shooters in the class, especially with his feet set, but he can shoot a little bit off motion, not nearly as good as Cameron Johnson there. He's more of a guy who he can shoot a catch and shoot three. He's going to have gravity, but he's excellent when he run him off the line. Like he can one, two dribble pull up in the mid range. I know that's not super valuable, but it actually kind of is when you get run off the line, having a recourse. And he's very good at that. Uh, of course, in the combine, six, six, but has a negative three wingspan at six, three. So that's going to turn a lot of people off just from the offset, just because he already had athleticism issues defensively. He tries really hard. But if you watch the Duke game, for example, he was just outclassed as far as athleticism in that game. And that's where I kind of worry about with him. He's a straight two guard for me. And of course, I think I just think Luke Kennard is much better. And why would you play them together? I, you're just not going to have a tenable defense. So like the, the fit issues with Detroit, not because of like, race or anything like that just based on skill <laughs> right. set and, and position like I, you could never I, to me unless you're just going to go you know like blake initiating you're going to maximize shooting and play hero and canard in the backcourt maybe you could explore that but again you have stark defensive concerns with that alignment so i think he's more of a straight two guard he does have great touch though that's something like you don't get a guy who gives over 90 percent from the line who has you know good floater touch like on runners and stuff like there's a reason for that i just think that the bar is so high to be an effective player. We're talking about like JJ Redick-esque and Redick is just on a different 
planet as far as his off movement shooting. Like he can execute that mid air turn and get his body, you know, square in the air. Like that's very rare skill just because the margin for error is, is so much smaller with, you know, smaller kind of two guard esque players. So you have to be, I, I think to justify where Harrison, I go in the draft. I don't know where he goes now after that length measurement, but usually you just have to be an otherworldly shooter. I'm not sure if he's that good of a shooter. I think he's very good. I'm not sure if he's like all time elite. And that's like, just as an archetype standpoint, I, I don't invest in those kinds of players unless I really think they're going to be like elite, elite shooters. Yeah. I mean, even Redick, like, you know, was a little bit more physically gifted than Hero in terms of like length and, yep. and height. And so like that, and that helped a lot defensively. Like Redick has turned himself into a slightly like above average defender. And like that was not the case early in his career. And like that, if you were looking at him coming out of college, like you would have never thought that would have been the case either. And so, yeah. And- Reddick is incredibly tough as well. Like that's the thing that stands out most to me about him is like he'll screen, he'll really mix it up with bigger players. Hero didn't show as much of that in college. Of course, it's still, you know, freshman year. He he can improve in that capacity like Reddick has too. But just generally, the threshold is so high for Hero to meet as far as on on a good team. Like he can dribble past and shoot a little bit better than he gets credit for. A little bit better of a passer, honestly. He's, he's unselfish. He'll make not like complex reads, but pretty decent reads. So there's a little bit more playmaking there. But again, I just don't think this is a great fit. So you talked about uh, heroes like an archetype that you're not particularly interested in. Like what, what are the archetypes that you like are interested in, I guess? <laughs> um, I mean, if you look historically, it's, it's a lot of it's like wing two-way wing shot makers, like guys who really can defend, but also shoot off movement, shoot off the dribble. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, those kinds of guys are so rare and they're ultimately incredibly valuable. The number one valuable archetype for me is wing initiators like Luca. That's why I love Luca because, I mean, you get a point guard, you get a, a small forward size point guard, essentially, who can dribble past shoot, make high level decisions. Those guys just don't exist and incredibly, incredibly valuable. It's, it's hard to put like the elites of the league in archetypes just because what makes them special is just not matched. Like you can say like Jokic is a playmaking five and then put like Al Horford in that conversation. But Jokic is his passing is like literally the best all time for a big. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do that. But uh, I, I love lead guards who can make decisions and shoot off the dribble, especially from range like Trey Young. Again, we saw a lot of these kinds of guys last year for bigs, love bigs who can shoot and defend in versatile fashion. Jaron Jackson last year. So that's the thing about this draft is you look down the list and you're like, well, shit, like there's not a lot of those guys. <laughs> I mean, like Zion's Zion's so unique that he's not even you can't compare him to really anybody. Just somebody that big, like 285, who can who has his jump cutting ability as well, like an incredible lateral burst with his hop step move. But you go down the list. It's like Morant. You don't know if he's going to shoot. Um, he has he struggles to create separate, not to separation, but get his shot off over length and like better athletes in isolation. RJ, I don't think, is the kind of shooter or athlete. If he was, I'd be much higher on him. So there just aren't a lot of those guys in this class. And I think that's kind of why you see a lot of draft picks and guys a little bit lower on that range, just because you don't see the projection until we know what's valuable. That makes sense. Uh, you know, and that's part of the, you know, your your evaluation of big men is part of why I think, like, some team is going to pick up Jackson Hayes at, like, 12 and be, like, supremely happy with that pick. But, like, you know, that kind of guy just isn't very valuable in, in the draft. I mean, you look at it even on Houston, like Clint Capella would be like an excellent outcome for him. And I think Capella probably is a little bit more laterally gifted, even though their movement skills are similar. And Capella is definitely a better leaper. Jackson Hayes is a good leaper. He's a great finisher, but he's not like this ultra explosive guy as far as he, he just has an incredible catch radius because he's huge and he has enormous hands. But how valuable is like a, a rim running big? I mean, I don't have to tell Pistons fans that for the most part. You mean, you mean everybody watched the Bucks series and 
Drummond couldn't make Milwaukee's over and drop scheme pay at all because he can't shoot. Right. So you have to prioritize certain skills and certain skills change schemes, like especially bigs who can, if you can get a stretch big, like Al Horford, who can also dribble and make high level decisions. Like that's where the modern game is right now. And I like Jackson Hayes, for example, I do think he has some defensive upside, even though he's not ultra physical. Like if he was as physical as like Steven Adams, which basically nobody is, but if he was that guy, I'd be higher on him, but you're still looking at a ceiling where it's capped because he's not that skilled. No. Yeah. And, uh, I think a lot of the frustration surrounding Andre is that um, he's paid like a guy who is more valuable than he actually has like proven himself to be on the court. And so like yep. it, the inability to surround him with better talent, partially because of like you've drafted wrong, partially because you're in Detroit and you can't sign free agents, partially because like he's making $27 million and he's probably not worth uh, quite that much. But uh, yeah, that that's a lot of the frustration I think surrounding the, uh, surrounding the type of player that uh, Andre Drummond is. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, if you wanted to go like deep on Andre Drummond, like we could do that on this podcast, but that's like not why I brought you here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I figured you guys have already talked enough about Drummond, but he kind of <laughs> ties in a little bit conceptually to some of the bigs in this class. Not really specifically just because Drummond's, his frame is like outlandish and stuff like that, but just the general thought of like a rim running big who isn't supremely skilled as a shooter. I, I do agree with your point. Unless you're like just this incredible defensive player. Like I, I do think, again, defense governs at the big position. Unless you're like this top five defender. If you're Rudy Gobert, for example, you can get away with it some. But if you're not skilled, like, there's usually a cap on that. Okay. All right. So I'm pretty much through all the wings around like the early or late lottery like early 20s that i wanted to talk to you about is there anybody that like you that i like missed that you like fellas like why didn't laz ask me about this dude not really as far as wings i think we covered everybody and unfortunately again don't want to rain on the parade here but i i don't love the wings in this range nah, uh, I, mean, I think you could probably derive you can probably derive that from talking about it and of course like if if people love wings they'd be higher than that right, right. <laughs> i mean if a wing's really good you're drafting him probably in the top five it's, so it's, that's obviously yeah yeah, it's this weird combination where it's like the wing is just like so it's the biggest glaring need on the team, but it's also like the weakest section of this draft. And so it's like that's a, that's what we got to talk about because like that's probably where the Pistons <laughs> are going to end up going. But, uh, you know, if I don't know, I don't think and I don't think any of the point guards are going to fall to 15. Like if they ended up with like Kobe White somehow, I'd be ecstatic. Um, and like that's 15 is too high to take a guy like a Carson Edwards or like a um, – Who's the dude? Shamori Pons. Like it's, it's like way too high for that, and so you're ending up in this uh, in this weird situation where it's like, okay, you know the Pistons are gonna take uh, a guy who is gonna need some work, and is probably not like as, as skilled coming out of the gate as you'd like him to be, and but like which which one of these like sub skilled like uh, average athletic guys is are like they gonna take basically. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's my issue with the draft sometimes is people lock in too much on positions teams do and say, oh, we need a three, we need a two, but you got to draft good basketball players. That's what we're trying to do in the draft. So unfortunately, in the range that the Pistons are in, I, I love some of the players that could potentially be available. I'm not sure if Brandon Clark falls. I'm not sure if PJ Washington falls. I'm pretty sure that Grant Williams will be there. But again, they play the position of the Pistons' best player. So I would still take them because that's, I think, you, you look at a class like this and you're lucky in that range to get a quality starter. That's the... That's the case in most drafts, but especially in this one, I think you're just generally fortunate at that point. I wouldn't reach for position. I think that's where teams go awry. I will say Carson Edwards is really interesting 
as far as like, I'm not a huge fan of his feel. Like he's, he's kind of a chucker, frankly, but he has the best pull up in the draft for me of, of the lead guards, like even better than Kobe White. Um, I think that he's a little bit more dynamic than Garland as far as his power behind his shot. Like he can really shoot from 30 and he has a two motion shot, which is just rare to see. Like a lot of guys are relying on that upward momentum. They don't get a lot of lift. Carson can just rise over basically anybody in an instant. And I really think he can put a lot of pressure on defenses that way especially in early offense and transition. I don't think he's a real point guard, but if you have Blake initiating, I think that like, honestly, the Pistons are one of my favorite fits for Carson in in the draft. I think 15 is probably going to be viewed too high by a lot of people. And I I don't think he goes that high, but it's an intriguing fit. Honestly, like it's one of those situations where just his level of shooting gravity and his ability to shoot off motion, play off the ball. And he kind of fits because again, you have Blake. If you didn't have Blake and he's running one five pick and roll every time, I would like him a lot less. But I think a Carson Blake pick and roll, if you really have to respect Carson's shot, we see, I'm not comparing him to Dame, of course. He's not that kind of athlete, that world class athleticism. But if you have to really get out on him up on the floor and you give him any kind of gravity, I think he can hit an over the top pass to Blake or something on a short roll, for example. So I think Carson's actually kind of interesting on the Pistons. Okay. Yeah. I, I read uh, Ben Rubin's piece on, or like dual, uh, like 2000 word pieces on, on Carson and uh, (laughs) like the, the, like the abstract from that was like, Hey, like if you like give Carson uh, NBA spacing and and, like set the pick for him at like 28 feet instead of 20 feet, like uh, it simplifies his decision-making and like, maybe that makes him a good NBA player. I was like, huh, okay. I could, I could see that. Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) the, the Pistons don't really use Blake as a role man anymore. Like he's, he's so valuable as the, as the ball handler in the pick and roll and, uh, he, yep. yeah, he's lost he's lost uh, enough athleticism i think that they're uh that they're uh, he doesn't really like operate in, in that manner as a, as a four which is another like weird thing he's he's effective when he does it they just don't do it a lot yeah that doesn't surprise me i, I just think like in theory i guess he could still do that and like at least make good decisions on the role i i, I love his skill level of course so and i think with Carson, you're just, a lot of it's just his shooting gravity. How much does he scare the hell out of the defense once he crosses half court as a shooter? Like he's not, I don't really look at him as like an elite level shooter necessarily, but I, I think the outcome is there. And he's like his athleticism, like finishing in traffic. Those are all issues. The biggest issue, of course, is just his playmaking. His sometimes just he just doesn't pass. And some of that's team situation. Um, Purdue's good. They're talented, but I mean, he's definitely like the the primary, like the main focal point of it. But uh, I just think, again, the Pistons are one of the teams that I look at in this range. And I'm like, I could understand it. If like, if they took Carson Edwards at 15, it would rile a lot of feathers. I think a lot of people would be pissed and be like, what, why he's going way too high. But I would actually understand that more from the Pistons than say the magic who also need a point guard. But for them, they don't really have they don't have Blake Griffin. They don't have anybody else that can really initiate their offense. So you're really just putting all your eggs in the creation basket. And, and Carson, I don't really trust him to create for others at a high level, but I, I do like him next to Blake. Okay. All right. Uh, I wanted to keep this at about an hour, but we didn't cover anybody at the second round. So I'm just going to rapid fire some names at you. Uh, Darius Basley. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of him, of course, because he didn't end up going to Syracuse, but he had a, a really outstanding second game at the combine. If people get a chance to watch that, if you haven't seen him play, you can really see the athleticism, the stride length, the explosiveness. He it's hard to project him with feel just because, again, we haven't seen him in an organized setting. And that's what I value the most in a player. So I can't really expand too much on like his passing. He did show some interesting drop offs on the move and stuff at the combine, but not a very structured event. Um, The the shooting uh, two motion shot doesn't look incredibly comfortable, but there's enough foundation to work with. I think he you know, I would I would definitely understand him in the second round. I think that from an athleticism standpoint, 
a lot of, he's going to get attributed with some upside. And I was more impressed with him than I thought I'd be at the combine. So pretty clearly a second round guy for me, but one of the, I guess, upsidey flyers. Uh, Iggy Brastakis, who is a dude that like, I don't think he's going to be <laughs> that great, but like we are going to get asked about him. So it's like, give me what's up with it, with the Iggy. Yeah, it's really strong. He's got a great frame. Um, very good as an off-ball kind of shooter score. Not like an elite shooter, but he's a good shooter, and he's very aggressive. This is a guy who doesn't hesitate. Like, the catch and go, he's incredible at that. He's always catching on the hop. He makes quick decisions, attacks immediately. So I, I like him as kind of like an off-ball wing type in theory. Uh, he he doesn't really translate his athleticism consistently. The, like the length is also a problem with him. He gets exploded over the top of not the best vertical athlete, even though he does have a little bit of like a power game when he loads up off two attacking a closeout, for example. But I'm mostly concerned about him on defense. And he does have the size and strength, but he doesn't have the length. And I don't see anything really special about his defense. If you can get him to average, maybe that that's an interesting player. If he can make catch and shoot threes at a high level, that's kind of the hope for him. Okay, Lewis King, who is a guy that I was surprised didn't do five on five at the combine because I didn't, I don't view him as like a first round pick, and so like I don't know who was telling him like not to play in that setting. <laughs> Probably they didn't want to expose him in his lack of feel. <laughs> um, his handle is very rudimentary. Like if, if he could dribble better and really handle in traffic, I would like him more. He can shoot. I, I think he's going to be a respectable shooter. I'm not sure about high level, but I, I think it's. Off the catch, he's a reasonable bet to shoot well from three. He has the measurables as far as like size and length and how he moves is okay, even though I don't lo- love his balance, especially switching. But uh, again, someone who's just not a, a very high-level field guy, Oregon's always a bitch to evaluate just because of their zone and some of their concepts are, I, I think, antiquated <laughs> a bit. So I... I don't feel like super confident with it with his projection, but again, I look for guys who like literally pop on, on the screen, and he's never done that for me in any capacity. Okay, Caleb Martin, who is he a two? Is he a three? Is he a one? Like I don't know what to make of the Martin twins. Yeah, for first thing is Cody Martin is way better than Caleb Martin. Like he's, <laughs> I actually really like Cody Martin. Like he was one of the biggest winners at the combine for me. Not from from the testing standpoint, from the on court standpoint, just looked much more athletic. Caleb, I don't think is an NBA player frankly, like straight up, like he, he's a shooter, but his mechanics are awful. Like his timing on his release, like he has this massive hitch. It's a very awkward shot. I don't really see it translating to a high level and he doesn't really do anything else on the floor. He's kind of like a shot maker, but not a real shooter. But I want to talk about Cody really quick. Yeah, no, go for <laughs> um, it. yeah, he's incredibly cerebral. One of my favorite picks in the second round, he might even go undrafted and you should be banging down the doors if that happens. He's I, I was, again, really impressed with him at the Combine. Moved well laterally. Was very strong, absorbing contact in space. Uh, very high-level thinker, too. Like Probably the smartest player in those five-on-fives. Just makes all the little winning plays. It just comes down to the jump shot. It really does. I mean, off the catch, it might get there from three. He's not a very good distance shooter right now. Uh, he can shoot off the bounce a little bit. Some people have made, like... He, he kind of does have a little bit of Sean Livingston in him, like, as far as stylistically but you hope of course with more like emphasis on catch and shoot three-point shooting he can get there but i love his ability to run a secondary pick and roll i think if he's like a quote-unquote kind of ball linker uh, a guy who just really can pass the ball secondarily and make great decisions if he can shoot threes i think he can be a top 20 player in this class so i think he's definitely a get terrence mann who is a guy who apparently is just like went from you know off big boards entirely to uh the g league uh the g league combine impressing there impressing in the draft combine and like now like maybe he's a top 50 player like who knows yeah 
I'm, I'm a big Terrence Mann guy. I liked him even his tape at Florida State. He's kind of similar to Cody Martin in some ways. Not quite the level of athlete functionally, but he tested really well. Another one of these dribble pass guys makes great decisions. It just comes down to the jump shot. Like, I don't really think he can hit like above the break threes right now. Maybe some corner threes, but I, I don't really know how well it translates as far as above the break and like functionally. Can he come off movement? I don't think so. I think he's more of like a catch and shoot guy only, but great kid. It's funny story about the combine. Like he was like, going to the airport apparently Vicini told me this story but like after the G League combine he wasn't even invited initially to the regular combine so he was on his way to the airport somebody dropped out and he he ended up coming back so it just shows you how little the margin for error sometimes is with these players like he was kind of fortunate to get in that setting even though he deserved to be at the combine but uh I would love him in the second round end of the I, I said before he's more of a two-way guy for me but I would easily take him in the second uh subtle there's a s- subtle strength in this class in that range. Like I think there's some guys who can really actually end up being like top 20 players in the class. And we don't usually see that from the wing position. Uh, Mie Oni. I hope I'm saying that right. The kid from Yale. Yeah. I'm not as high on him just because I've never really seen it. He doesn't, he doesn't impress me at all when I watch him. Like there's nothing he does on the floor that really just takes you aback. I mean, obviously he had a terrible shooting game in the tournament and that knocked him down a little bit. But even before that, I mean, I, th- I think I trust him more than the other two. We just talked about to make catch and shoot threes. He's probably the best shooter of the group, but I think he's worse at everything else. Like I don't love his decision making. Don't love his handle. His defense is okay. I, I don't think it's anything special. So he's just very mad to me. I, I mean, in this range, that's kind of what you're looking at in the, in the second round, a wing that can do some of the things he can do has that, foundational athleticism has the ability to shoot but nothing special for me yeah his shot's a little funky too which which prejudiced me against him uh isaiah roby who i watched a bunch of nebraska isaiah roby was terrible at nebraska like i have no idea what what got into him at the combine (laughs) yeah he's he's athletic i mean he showed the grab and go ability he's just so inconsistent with how he just goes about his game in general. Like he's very indecisive. Like at the beginning of the season, like he wasn't taking enough shots. Like he'd be open. He has a good, I think he has good mechanics on his jump shot. I think he can shoot threes, but he just passed up on too many looks, made some poor decisions. I don't love his physicality on defense. I think his skill level is underrated. Again, with the ability to dribble in bigger spaces, he can pass a little bit. And I am a fan of his shot off of like a not off movement or anything, but like even pick and pops. If you sw- if you don't switch that action, I think he can hit pick and pop threes in time. But defensively, he can protect the, the rim from the weak side. His rotational awareness is actually pretty decent. I just again, biggest thing for me is just the the physicality. He doesn't play like with that kind of toughness that I look for from that position. Admiral Schofield. Yeah, I don't think he's an NBA player. I. Honestly, like I, he's a great kid. He's going to get rave reviews because he's a great leader, but he's kind of in, in between positions. We saw him against P.J. Washington. Everybody thinks that P.J. Washington like beat the hell out of Grant Williams in those matchups. It was actually Admiral Schofield that he was killing. Like, uh, and Schofield just couldn't guard that position. He can't, you know, guys can elevate over the top of him. He doesn't have great physical talent that way. Doesn't leverage his strength like the Grant Williams, for example. So I, I think he can make catch and shoot threes. Um, he prefers to come off curls and like shoot mid range jumpers, but I think he can push that back to three in time. I don't see him as like a lights out shooter. And I don't really know what else he does on the floor that really would invite a draft pick. I think he's more, I would have him like in the eighties range. Uh, was Matisse Thibel a victim of terrible guard play or a perpetuator of terrible guard play? <laughs> I, I would lean more towards victim just because I mean, playing with David Crisp and those guys just aren't natural facilitators. Like Jalen Noel actually passed a lot better at the combine than he did at UW, even though he, he did show flashes at UW there, but yeah, he's, he's really interesting. He's someone who is going to really stand out to the analytics community just because of his steal and block numbers are just absolutely like they're insane. Ridiculous. 
like historically, historically elite. Like we're talking like the last 50 years elite, what he did in that zone. You'll get some people that knock him for playing in the zone. I think that his lateral quickness is, is fine. He shows that in flashes on his tape. He played man his sophomore year. He wasn't as good defensively then, but he's improved. Guys do that. It's, it's been known to happen. <laughs> so I think it, with him, it just comes down to the shot. Really, it does. And there's good inputs as far as like he's not a non-shooter. Like he has decent free throw percentage in his career, actually pretty pretty solid there. And then three-point shooting has been a little bit all over the map, was less this year. But I don't think he has incredible touch. But I do think his touch is better than like Charles Matthews, for example, who I think has real shooting issues. Like I, I don't know if he's ever going to shoot. Like Thibel, I go back, I vacillate on him. And I think if he does shoot, he's the guy to me that's most Danny Green in this class. Um, not as strong. But as far as a role player, I think he makes better decisions than he gets credit for. He's not a very good technical passer, but I think he's a, his skill level is actually a little underrated. He just has this... For some reason, he plays like hot potato every time he gets the ball like every time it's like a, it's an immediate skip pass or immediate pass like he hates having the ball which is it's just very weird to me it's like even worse than mikhail and of course he's not anywhere near the shooters mikhail is but I, I think the unselfishness is good but to at a point like he can be more aggressive and i don't think he has like the natural scoring instincts to be like an impact player but i do like him and he's very he's, he's going to be a role player like he has that mentality he's going to fill what he's going to play within the parameters of what he's supposed to do on the floor that's why i like him a lot I, I should ask about Charles Matthews, but like I'm like pretty sure Charles Matthews isn't an NBA player. But like there's gonna be a large like section of Twitter that yells at me for not asking about this Michigan guy. So just <laughs> tell people why Charles Matthews isn't a good basketball player. Oh, he's he a one way player. He can play defense, but he's an incredible defensive player. Like his footwork is phenomenal. Like his lane agility drill didn't do him justice at the combine. Like he has some of the best defensive footwork I've seen for a wing. Incredible. Like I've I've heard he's been locking guys up in, in private workouts too. And like, why would you ever let your prospect go against Charles <laughs> Matthews in a workout? It's really bad idea. Um, so I, I actually like several elements of his game. I, again, I buy the defense. I think he's probably the best point of attack defender in the entire class. Frankly. It just comes down to the shot. Like, if he doesn't shoot, how valuable is his package? And he just doesn't have anything to bet on with a shot. Like, mechanically, it's not it's not bad. Like, it looks okay. But the touch, the free throw percentage, everything, you get on the line. And especially the touch for me is, like, it, he hasn't shown anything to really bet on that way. Like, he has underrated footwork offensively. Like, he can get to his fadeaway. He can handle a little bit, not at a high level, of course, but maybe attack a closeout and do something in, in that situation. He's an underrated athlete. But it just nothing comes together if he can't shoot. And that's my issue with him. That's fair. Uh, Joshua Obesi? Obesi? I hope I'm saying that right. The uh, 6'6 kid from uh, Germany. It's lefty. Yeah, this is going to be the first time on a podcast this season where I can't give an actual introspective look at a player. I've not gotten to him yet. He's on my list over the next week and a half. So I don't want to come down with a, a wrong stance. No, here, no, so. no. I mean, like, that's that's <laughs> totally fair. I mean, I've got... I've got uh, I'm looking at all these dudes, like not in not to the depth that you are, but like I'm going through all these guys too, and like I have no idea how you do this. <laughs> the, the internationals, I'm I'm always late to, so they're more like I just got to Gogo go, go Batadz or Batadzi, I think is how you pronounce it. I just got to him. I, I've seen him before, but in more of a deep dive. I started like two nights ago, so I'll probably get to Josh Obiase. I think it's Obiase. I, I can't remember, um, but I'll probably get to him in the next week or so. But they're usually the last on my agenda. Okay. And last but not least, a guy who I don't think will be available is he'd be too too low or too low for fifteen, too high for forty five. Uh, Dylan Windler. Yeah, I mean he's one of the 
four or five best shooters in the class. Not exactly similar to Cameron Johnson. Uh, Johnson's better at off movement shooting, but Windler has incredible range. Like he's someone who I think the Bucks might look at just because he can shoot from legitimately 29 feet off the catch. Like he likes to spot up from that deep. So he can really put pressure on you there. Uh, incredible rebounder. I think some of that scheme induced, he played a lot on the baseline. So he was in a position to get those. And I think he gets his athleticism is a little bit overrated as far as functionally he tested well at the combine. But again, I didn't, I didn't really see that on tape. He's not very physical. If, if he was, if he was like a guy who would just throw smaller guys out and literally just post guys up and beat guys up, I would like him a lot more as like a functional three. But I, I don't really see that in this game. He doesn't have that physical edge. Um, so I, I like him. Again, I th- he's definitely a draftable player. I might even have him, you know, bottom of the first round just because he's a guy who I'm pretty damn confident is going to be like a high 30 shooter off the catch from three on volume. But I think you have to have a specific system for him as far as optimizing him that way. Uh, you really got to get him looks and play him next to like a dynamic passer. So like if he played on the Lakers with LeBron, for example, and he you, you could just guarantee me he'd shoot like nine or ten threes a game. Like he's someone who I'd be really interested in, honestly, at the end of the first round. But you have to really capitalize on that shooting. Yeah, I was thinking I think I saw him mock to the Warriors a couple times and I was like, oh, that'd be really good. Oh, that's that's terrifying for the rest of the league. Uh, if, right? they, if they get more shooting, like, oh, my God. Is it, yeah, because they only have the three dudes who can shoot. And so, like, him and, like, the Jarebko role, were, yeah, that'd be great. Oh, anyway, yeah. On that terrifying note, I want to thank you so much for the hour plus of your time, Cole. Um, you know, give the people uh, what's the best place for the people to, like, read your draft analysis uh, when they're not listening to this podcast over and over again, as they absolutely should be. <laughs> Um, at thestepian.com, we have new pieces pretty much every day. I just wrote a 45-minute piece looking at pull-up shooting for the guards in this class. So we'll apply just Carson Edwards like we talked about, for example. I, I don't expect the top three guards to be there when Detroit picks. But if you're into self-loathing and you want to read a 45-minute piece, go go ahead and, and do that. Um, I appear usually once a week on Sam Bassini's Game Theory podcast as well. So, uh, yeah, those are the two outlets. On Twitter, at Cole Zwicker, I... 95% of my content is, you know, NBA or NBA draft related. And the 5% is, you know, Game of Thrones and me being sad. Uh, but yeah, just uh, you can check out that. <laughs> <laughs> so two things. Uh, Cole had a like a 45, another like quote unquote 45 minute piece on DeAndre Hunter that is required reading. Um, uh, even though DeAndre Hunter will not be available, like that was one of the single best pieces of draft content I've like ever read in my entire life. And uh, be like, you know, I wasn't super disappointed with the ending. It was more the of Game of Thrones. It was more the the knowledge that like the compression across two seasons was what caused the storyline to not make sense was my frustration. Not necessarily the storyline not making sense. I am 100% with you. I think they suffered too much from pacing and trying to speed it up and fit it into 13 episodes when it should have been like four seasons of content. So they had to reverse engineer it. You can kind of tell and say, this is the end game we have to get to. So we're going to work our way backwards. And these are the steps that need to happen. Instead of, I think, what made the show so special in the beginning was more of the organic character development. And they kind of just let it flow. And they had the time to do that. When they when they expedited it and the show showrunners didn't want to do it for much longer, I think that was kind of damning. Yeah. I mean, the it makes me and the showrunners whenever and this is a common complaint, but when, when they started getting away from the source material, uh, the written down source material, obviously, like Martin was like consulting on uh, everything anyway. But like yep. when, when they got away from that, like the show like really dropped off a cliff. And so like I'm not looking forward to their adaptation of like whatever they're going to do in the Star Wars universe because of similar reasons. 
definitely agree 100 percent. okay cool uh <laughs> as always you can follow me on twitter uh, at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e uh you should go to detroit bad boys and uh view all of our upcoming draft content like i said earlier like a half hour ago i had a pretty in-depth piece on kz yakpala earlier this week uh this has been the detroit bad boys podcast and we will talk to you uh in the future